We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. go episode 612 of the Al Galdi podcast it is Tuesday July 18th 2023 two days away are we from the expected vote of NFL owners on the sale of the commanders from our good friends Dan and Tanya Snyder (laughs) to the Josh Harris group and we on Monday afternoon Got some rather good news regarding that vote. The Washington Post on Monday afternoon reporting that the NFL Finance Committee on Monday voted unofficially to recommend approval of Josh Harris's deal to buy the commanders. And the Post reported that the NFL has reached an agreement with Dan Snyder to resolve all remaining legal issues. The sale, my friends, is done without being officially done. Uh, Whatever doubts, whatever concerns that you may have had about Thursday not being the day that we all want it to be, uh, it would appear that those doubts, that those concerns can be put to rest. Rest easy, my friends. Hello and welcome to this Tuesday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. This week is unlike few weeks in the history of Washington, D.C. sports. And so coming up next segment is a guest who can contextualize all of this for us. Longtime Washington, D.C. area sports writer Rick Snyder. Uh, Few people know and understand and have experienced (laughs) the Dan Snyder era as Rick Snyder does slash has. And so he's going to spend some time with us discussing a variety of aspects of the sale, including the real reason that Dan is selling the team. A fascinating reaction from NFL owners to opposing team fans routinely (laughs) overtaking FedEx Field over the years. Uh, What Josh Harris's first official words as commander's owner should be. Where we may well be headed in the commander stadium situation. Wait until you hear what Rick has to say about that. And the truth about why the most successful owner in Redskins history, Jack Ken Cook, did not leave the team to his son, John Ken Cook, leading to the process by which Dan bought the team 
in May 1999. You know, Rick can explain what happened with Jack Ken Cook not leaving the team to his son, John Ken Cook, better than anyone who I've heard on that subject. And we're going to get that explanation and a whole lot more next segment. Also on the show, I have a Nationals victory to discuss with you. A uh, 7-5 win at the Chicago Cubs on Monday night as the Nats hit well and pitched well enough. Uh, starting pitcher Mackenzie Gore had an ugly final line of five runs in six and a third innings, but he was better than that final line indicated. And the Nats bullpen got the job done despite the team's top reliever, Hunter Harvey, now being on the 15-day injured list. Uh, and I will talk Orioles late in the show. Uh, their eight-game winning streak did come to an end on Monday night, a 6-4 loss to the National League West leading Los Angeles Dodgers at Oriole Park at Camden Yards as the return of starting pitcher Grayson Rodriguez, a great rod to the majors, uh, did not go so well. Four runs in five innings, although he was throwing like a madman. Six of Gray Rod's pitches in the top of the first, each registered as being at least 100 miles per hour per StatCast. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tweet from Mike for conversation on Commander's quarterback Sam Howell during Monday's show, episode 611, including with Commander's insider Nikki Javala of the Washington Post. Writes Mike, if the Commanders this coming season win at least 12 games <laughs> and Howell looks great, who would have more cause to go full double bird? Sam, who fell to the fifth round, Eric Bieniemy, who has been told that he's not head coaching material, or Ron Rivera, who has been criticized for going with Howell. I think it is EB, but all three would have cases. Uh, thank you for the tweet, Mike. Yeah, each guy would very much have a case. Uh, I'm tempted to say Sam Howell because he would be the guy actually playing and performing well. And there are so many questioning him given that he fell to the fifth round of the 2022 NFL draft. But if Eric Bieniemy in his first season as the team's assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator got this team to have a truly good offense for the first time since Kirk Cousins was the team's QB1 and did so with a second year fifth round quarterback. Heck yeah, <laughs> the enemy could go full double bird. And look, it feels like everyone on the planet is assuming that this coming season will be Rod Rivera's last season as Washington head coach. If he got the team to have at least 12 wins in a regular season for the first time since 1991. The team has not had at least 11 wins in a regular season since 1991. Uh, how could Ron not go full double bird? You know, that is one of the great feelings in life when you do something positive that many thought that you could not do. That is the uh, how you like me now feeling. Remember when Kirk did that? Uh, he had that great game and a win over the Green Bay Packers at FedEx Field on Sunday Night Football in November 2016. Uh, this was during the peak of the Kirk Cousins contract saga. And he, after the game, famously said to the team's general manager at the time, a friend of the Al Galdi podcast, Scott McLuhan, how you like me now. <laughs> Here you go. How do you like me now? How do you like me now? Yeah, how you like me now. The double bird slash how you like me now feeling. One of the great feelings in life. Email from Jim D on the sale of the commanders. Rides Jim, while you were recovering from your lost voice, I found myself listening to past episodes covering the saga that is the sale of the commanders. In hindsight, it's really funny 
how from basically the moment the sale was announced on 11.2.22, everybody was hyping up the prospect of Jeff Bezos buying the team almost to the point of annoyance while all other candidates were being pushed to the side as afterthoughts, including, of course, Josh Harris. It really wasn't until names like Mitchell Rails and Magic Johnson came up in March that the public attention started to turn to our now incoming owners. I just thought that that was really fascinating to look back on. Uh, Thank you for the email, Jim. Uh, There's no doubt that the initial feeling was that the Amazon founder, Jeff Bezos, was the favorite to buy the commanders. But, you know, that feeling was well-grounded. A, Jeff Bezos is one of the richest people on the planet and could have bought the team entirely on his own. You know, Josh Harris needs a group to buy the commanders. Jeff Bezos did not need a group. Uh, And B, the initial reporting was that Jeff Bezos would be in on buying the Commanders. It was on November 2nd that we learned that the Commanders were for sale. It was the very next day, November 3rd, that we had multiple reports that Jeff Bezos was interested in buying the Commanders. And he did have interest to at least some extent. I've had, I don't know how many guests on this podcast to talk about the sale of the team. Bezos, per multiple people, hired a well-connected investment firm, the New York-based Allen & Company, to explore buying the commanders. So he did have interest in buying the team, but he ultimately did not submit a bid on the team. And it was on April 12th that we had the multiple reports that Bezos was not bidding on the commanders. And then the very next day, April 13th, we had multiple reports that Commander's co-owner and co-CEO Dan Snyder had agreed to sell the team to the group led by Josh Harris for $6.05 billion. So you can see how the Jeff Bezos factor in a lot of ways governed this process. And it wasn't until he was out that we actually had that agreement between Dan and Josh. Well, not even. Jeff Bezos can solve what's happening in the home and auto insurance markets right now. We are routinely seeing 20% increases in home and auto insurance, even when the account is clean, meaning no accidents or violations on the auto insurance and no claims on the property insurance. You right now have every reason to shop your home and auto insurance, and that's why you should get with BMC Insurance. Check out BMC Insurance. Go to insurancebmc.com and you'll be put in touch with the owner and president, Matt Brooks, a loyal listener of this podcast. And make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. BMC Insurance, it offers home insurance, auto insurance, and also small business insurance in Maryland, Virginia, Washington, D.C., and North Carolina. BMC Insurance is an independent insurance agency, meaning that it has many, as in dozens, of insurance carriers it works with to make sure that clients are always paying competitive rates. Uh, What's especially great about BMC Insurance is that it has relationships with its clients. Uh, BMC Insurance is a trusted advisor for your insurance needs. BMC Insurance continues to work with clients after sales. Uh, It has team members who actually shop clients insurance every year when they renew. And BMC Insurance does this proactively so that you don't have to. BMC Insurance will save you time and money. And perhaps most telling, BMC Insurance's client retention rates historically are much higher than industry averages. When people get BMC Insurance, they stay with BMC Insurance. Don't get gouged on your home and auto insurance. Check out BMC Insurance. Go to insurancebmc.com 
Talk to my guy, Matt Brooks, and make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. And BMC Insurance does offer small business insurance. So if you're looking for general liability, workers' comp, or commercial auto insurance, BMC Insurance can help. Visit insurancebmc.com. That's insurancebmc.com. And make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. A big help is if you subscribe to rate and review this podcast. You can subscribe to the podcast via most platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. A subscription to the podcast costs you nothing. Make sure that you never miss an episode. Uh, Also, you on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify can rate the podcast. Five-star ratings are very much appreciated. And you on Apple Podcasts can write a review saying that you like the podcast. The review can be just a sentence or two. Can be more, but doesn't have to be. Uh, But thank you very much for subscribing, rating, and reviewing. Well, we have another lawsuit involving the commanders. Uh, We on Monday morning learned that Jason Friedman, the whistleblower in the team's financial scandal, has filed a $10 million defamation lawsuit against the team and attorney John L. Brownlee. Uh, The lawsuit was filed by attorney Adam Herzog in Loudoun County, Virginia, due to the team's headquarters and training facility being in Ashburn, Virginia. Uh, Jason Friedman claims that he was defamed for testifying to Congress that senior team executives withheld money from the NFL and from season ticket holders for the team, uh, i.e. the financial scandal. Uh, Jason Friedman was a sales-slash-ticketing employee of the team for 24-plus years, March 1996 to October 2020. So, yeah, uh, we now have this lawsuit. Uh, The fun never stops with our football team. But you know what? So what? Because the sale of the team is happening. And we, on Monday afternoon, had the oh-so-glorious news NFL insider Mark Maskey of the Washington Post and Commander's insider Nikki Javala of the Washington Post. Uh, They, on Monday afternoon, broke the news that the NFL Finance Committee on Monday voted unofficially to recommend approval of Josh Harris's deal to buy the Commanders. And Mark and Nikki reported that the NFL has reached an agreement with Dan Snyder to resolve all remaining legal issues. The sale, people, is happening. And so as we get ever so closer to the big day, that is this Thursday, July 20th, the day on which NFL owners are expected to vote on the sale of the commanders from the Snyders to the Josh Harris group, the day on which we anticipate NFL owners approving the sale of the team from the Snyders to the Josh Harris group. I'm very pleased to welcome back to the Al Galdi podcast, a man who has covered the Dan Snyder saga from the beginning Longtime Washington, D.C. area sports writer Rick Snyder. Uh, no relation <laughs> to Dan Snyder. Uh, Rick Snyder has covered Washington, D.C. area sports since 1978. He currently is the host of Rick Snyder's Washington on YouTube, is a columnist for 1067 The Fan, and is the editor of Command Post Magazine. Uh, Rick previously has worked for The Washington Times, The Washington Examiner, and Washington Post Express. Uh, He also has written a number of books, and he is a licensed Washington, D.C. tour guide. Uh, For more on that, visit MonumentalThoughts.com. You could follow Rick on Twitter at Snyde underscore remarks. Hey, Rick, how are you? Good. I sound busier than I am, but okay. <laughs> well, I hope that the mighty Ted Leonsis isn't mad at you 
uh, for having that site, MonumentalThoughts.com. I mean, Ted is the founder and CEO of the mighty Monumental Sports and Entertainment, so I hope that Ted's not coming after you. I would love to sell it to him. I was first. I had that before he had Monumental. If he'd like to buy it, you know, I'll think they're for sale. (laughs) Absolutely. Including, of course, our football team. And uh, speaking of that, your latest column for 106.7 The Fan, headline, quote, money, not morality, is true reason NFL is dumping Dan Snyder now, end quote. And you make the argument that the real reason that Dan is doing what it was said he would never do, selling the team, is that he stopped being the revenue generator he should be for the NFL. And I think that there is a lot of truth in what you wrote. Uh, we know that NFL owners are like a mafia. And once you're no longer a made guy, you're done. When do you think it was that the other NFL owners truly were done with Dan? Not until the Virginia deal fell through for a stadium. I think that was the real moment of clarity. Uh, because, you know, Virginia was talking about giving him a billion dollars, which I wrote, what are you people drunk? I mean, you know, it's crazy. But the NFL was willing to tolerate Dan because the NFL knows that bad news will come and go with the news cycles, and they just don't worry about it. I mean, think of all the terrible things that have happened, players have done, stuff like that. They just know the next headline will knock it off the page, and that's sadly true. But when it got to Virginia rescinded their offer, and D.C. the same day said, we're not interested in you at all, the other owners knew we're done here. We're not going to be able to get a new stadium, which means we're not going to get our cut of it that kind of thing. And given all the other stuff that's going on, it's time for you to go. You in the column wrote, quote, the reason for Snyder's exit isn't what many believe. It has nothing to do with the team's poor treatment of women and a toxic workplace culture with multiple credible accusations of sexual harassment, though that led to a congressional investigation and two NFL probes. Instead, The House investigation produced massive political poison that sent lawmakers scurrying from Snyder's stadium plan, and that is what proved to be the backbreaker. NFL owners are finally getting rid of Snyder because he was no longer making them big money like his predecessor, Jack Ken Cook. Snyder's gate receipts at half-empty FedEx Field were shared with visiting teams and not near the old paydays of 91,000 fans. Indeed, many owners seeing a majority of visiting fans in Landover felt they should have received the home share of ticket sales, <laughs> end quote. Is that true, that owners of opposing teams with fan bases that overtook FedEx Field felt entitled to the home share of ticket sales? Uh, I know there were some grousing. I think they were just kind of, you know joking about it because they like seeing their own fans there at least but it's usually a 60 40 split on ticket revenues it's not as much as you think um and so it's not you know but you look up and see you know how many games did you see three-fourths of the fans there were the visiting fans if, if i'm that owner i'm thinking too jeez all my people are here what'd you bring to the table so uh, i knew some of them kind of joked about it nobody got really serious about it but but it's a natural inclination to think I'm the one filling this house. You know, this guy's not getting us any money. Uh, that's the big thing in the NFL, man. It is a money, money, money situation with all these guys. But I will say, Dan did make them money here in the end because he's selling his team for $6 billion. So now their teams have gone up. And even if they're not selling, they can get a new, uh, you know, get more debt increase on there uh, and cash out more now because their teams are worth more. 
So the vote of NFL owners on the sale of the commanders is expected to happen on Thursday. At some point, uh, maybe as soon as Friday, you would think that we'll have some sort of press conference for Josh Harris. What do you think he should say? What should be his initial message as owner of the team? Yeah, I heard that they may have one Friday at FedEx, uh, but nobody's you know wanting to say for sure yet. But I would expect probably sometime in the news cycle Friday. And if I'm Josh Harris, I don't even say Dan Snyder's name. I mean, I can't tell you how glad I am personally to have my last name no longer a curse word. In town. <laughs> you know? I mean, I used to tease Rich Cook, who covered the team for radio many years ago. Gee, it must be tough having, you know, the same name as the owner. And then, <laughs> you know, I get this. Um, I wouldn't even say his name. You know, that, that, that's gone. I'm the past. And it's sort of like Rivera used to say, why am I visited by the ghost of the past? Well, because people are not willing to just forgive everything and, and write you a new check. And Harris is going to have the same problem, you know. So he can't do a, certain, a few things like flip a bunch of people. They're going to go, oh, it's just like Dan Snyder. You know, so try and say, here I am, new era. I'm going forward. I can't fix all this stuff. I can't change the name today. I wouldn't even address that. I'm not changing the colors or any. I wouldn't address any of that. I would just talk about how you got a new era and you're here to support things and try and make them better. And, and going to need a little time because he's going to take over the team hours before kickoff of training camp. So what what can the man do? People ask me this all the time. The answer is really nothing. And he's not going to cut parking or concessions because the man just spent $6 billion on his team. You think he's into giving bargains? He's got to you just hope he doesn't increase them. You know, if, when people talk about the new stadium, you think your tickets are going to stay the same price? No. You're going to be begging for days of F- FedEx prices. Uh, you know, that's how it works. This is a business. So uh, hopefully he just tries to say, stay low key. From what I gather, that's what he does. And just. You know, we'll talk every, if he talks every once in a while, like, I know the Philly writers were telling me, I didn't talk much. He only talks about once a year or twice a year. I haven't talked to Dan in 20 years. <laughs> you know? So if he talks once a year, that'll feel great. You know, don't try and say happy Thanksgiving and stupid stuff like that. <laughs> much more with Rick Snyder in moments. I'm going to next ask him about the Commander Stadium situation, which most certainly is on the minds of those at WSH on the Daily on Instagram. Uh, yeah, at WSH on the Daily on IG. Uh, on the Daily just started in 2021 and yet has nearly 22,000 followers. And on the Daily is literally daily. Uh, The page is updated every day. News, notes, reports, photos, graphics. Uh, This is a page that properly sources and vets its news and information. Doesn't just, you know, post anything that anyone says. Uh, On the Daily on Instagram is a great place at which you can converse with other Commanders fans regarding the team, uh, the draft, free agency, trades. Uh, On the Daily responds to every single DM. On the Daily is a page at which you can have fun. Lots of creativity with jersey swaps and unique graphics and the contest name that Redskin and free wallpaper Wednesday, which is when On the Daily gives out free wallpaper that you can use on your phone. Uh, And On the Daily always has a great fresh look. If you're on Instagram, check out at WSH On the Daily. For smart, informative, fun, and engaging Commander's content, check out at WSH on the Daily on Instagram. More now with longtime Washington, D.C. area sports writer Rick Snyder. 
Uh, the stadium situation, there certainly seems to be a growing momentum for the Commander's Next Stadium to be on the RFK Stadium site in Washington, D.C., first with the sale of the team, and now with Republican Kentucky Representative James Comer, the chairman of the House Committee on Oversight and Reform, which oversees Washington, D.C., legislatively preparing this legislation that would allow D.C. to develop the RFK Stadium side into a new Commander Stadium. The RFK Stadium side, as most people know, is federally owned. Uh, does it feel to you that the team's next stadium will be on the RFK Stadium site? I did until I saw Metro's proposed expansion of the rail system and making the blue line a loop that goes down to ooh, National Harbor. Gee, who knew? I mean, it's always been in the back minds of things. They're like, well, it's going to take years. Well, so is the stadium. You know, when people say it takes forever, I just point back to the new Wilson Bridge. We talked about the new Wilson Bridge forever. They talked about National Harbor for like 20 years. Gosh, Earl, would you believe they both kind of opened up at the same time? They just kind of worked it out. Isn't that funny? <laughs> and, and that's what's going to happen. That could happen again. To, to take a rail extension like the Silver Line, you have to have somebody out there paying for all that. Well, they could put that stadium there, and suddenly MGM and National Harbor are covering a lot of that because they'll benefit even more. But now you have a third leg in the stool of of the commander. So I think the Oxen Cove site could suddenly be back in it. And Maryland, which has a big proposal to have to revitalize Landover, which is just drawing yawns from everybody, they want to shift that money down to the Oxen Cove site. The only hard part is it is a federal land. But, you know, if Comer's going to give them a 99-year extension RFK, he can shift it down to Oxen Cove if they want uh, on that. And I don't understand why the federal government doesn't give the land to D.C., at least that one. Oxen Cove's in Maryland. But RFK, they're not pumping oil out of RFK. It, it's not making the federal government any money. Why in the world do they hold on to this like it's the last defense? Um but if you want to do a 99-year lease, that's a perfect solution. We'll all be dead. Somebody else will worry about it uh, on there. So I, I thought RFK was really there. And then suddenly Maryland figured, let's come back with this. Let's get the metro thing in the loop. If you drive over to Wilson Bridge, you notice there's those big left-hand shoulders on there. That's for the metro. It's always been. That's not a secret. They always did that. So suddenly somebody in there said we can move this metro line and now the new bidding's beginning again that's a very interesting point about the oxen cove maryland site i mean personally i do think that the commander's next stadium being in maryland or virginia could work i don't see the situation as washington dc or bust but i get that i may be in the minority in having that opinion what do you think could a new stadium in maryland or virginia be a big success well, the Maryland one is inside the Beltway. You know, either Landover or Oxen Cove would be even better because Oxen Cove is literally feet from the D.C. line and across the bridge from Virginia. So it's it's right there. That's a great location. I know traffic sucks, but it sucks everywhere uh, on there. And if you put the metro on it, well, then it's like the same thing as RFK, basically, different metro stop. Uh, I think that would be great. Virginia, I don't know, has talked about playing in the Blue Ridge Mountains or something. I mean, good Lord, how far up you want to go? Dan, <laughs> Dan Snyder's talking about Tesla drilling tunnels for cars to come through. I mean, good Lord, what's going on? I mean, we have to think about not the stadium for 2027, but for 2047 and 57. What is America going to look like? And all the trends talk about really returning to the cities, which we have seen 
with the pandemic. And America is going, American stadiums are going to be going back to city mass transit. The days of this tailgate and massive parking lots are over. You know, what happens when oil goes up to $10 a gallon? These kind of things, that's what they look at. And, and I studied it a lot. You need a futurist to really help guide you and say, don't build, this is what Jack and Cook's big mistake was. Don't build a stadium based on the past. Build it on the future. And the future is more in the cities. It's not out in you know, Loudoun County or any of that stuff. That's not going to work. Why are the D.C. Defenders so popular in a, in a way? I mean, 15 grand is their attendance. But it's still very good, I think, for what's going on. It's because it's near the metro. It's for the young. It's easy access. Nobody's going to worry about your tailgate. Sorry if you can't get drunk out of your mind before you go on the stadium. Gee, you have to buck up. You know, I mean, these are the kind of things they really have to look at. And I think they're going to be, and they need smaller stadiums because 5G is on the verge of becoming 10G. And Earl, you probably heard about these things. When they, when they mic up the players and all these things, you're going to feel like you're inside the game in the next five to ten years. That you'll be standing in your living room with, like, for, you know, the virtual reality all around you and feeling you're there. So why would you go to a game, you know, and pay all that money? That all these things are coming, and they've decreased stadium needs. So you'll have a smaller one. That's why you can go back to RFK, you know, at a 60000 or whatever. You know, because the days of the big stadiums, this is all changing. America is just, not just America, the world it's just zooming ahead with the technologies. And so football needs to get ahead of that and, and be there. Don't be in the past because that past will leave you to dead. You mentioned the most successful owner in Redskins history, Jack Ken Cook. As we are in the final days of Dan Snyder's 24-plus year reign as owner of the team, uh, I can't help but think about why the team was available for Dan to buy to begin with. And what is maybe the greatest what-if in team history? Why didn't Jack Ken Cook set things up to where the team stayed in his family? Uh, you've written about this. What is the truth? about Jack Ken Cook not passing the team to his son, John Ken Cook? Well, there was a couple reasons. One, they grossly underestimated what this team was worth. And, and it was natural because they thought it was going to go for like $250 million. And the younger Cook really didn't want the team. All this stuff, it's sad that history will now be changed by people lying. But Jack and, uh, John Ken Cook did not really want the team. He had people begging him to be partners. And he didn't want it. He wanted his 10% inheritance of it. All right. So he became a straw bidder, you know, and he'll deny it. He denied it then, but it's the truth. If he was just trying, with one bidder, you don't raise the price. Two bidders, you got to go up. But what happened is a confluence of things. One, you got your brand new stadium that was going to add revenue. Two, the first mega TV contract dropped during those two years when Cook had died. Uh, that's there. The Cleveland Browns came in, huge ex increase in franchise values. These kind of these three things came out of somewhat nowhere and raised that value up to $800 million. And John definitely wanted to do that. But at two fifty, you know, I think everybody kind of, I think John indicated to him, I'll just take my inheritance. And the money that was, Jack and Cook really was, broke at the end of his life he had the team but sure he had a lot of other stuff but it was all leveraged there's so there was no money anywhere else the chrysler building he loved to talk about owning was completely 100 percent mortgaged those kind of things so this was the only thing he had left and the money went to a foundation if you have a kid who's going to college look up jack Kent 
Koch foundation.org i think it is um they have so much money they're trying to get rid of that they're mandated to give five percent of it out in scholarships every year as a foundation and they had to change their rules from graduate students only to anyone going to college because they got money they got to give away so if you got somebody going look that up uh and i thought that was a great thing that the squire did he left it for he loved writers he loved the, the written word he always loved to say he's his first job was selling encyclopedias, which one day I got him mad. I said, well, you know, that was so long ago. There was 12 letters. And he yelled at me about that. But, you know, <laughs> he had the letter J back then, Jack. You know, I mean, it was like weird. So um, I thought it was a grand gesture on his part. But I think the son also just wanted his money. And, and they just decided to just take it and run. Who knew it was going to be worth that much? Great stuff. Very informative. You see, people, this is why we have Rick Snyder on the Al Galdi podcast. Uh, Final question. The team president, Jason Wright, the reporting has been that Josh Harris is retaining Jason for now. What do you think ultimately is going to happen with Jason as team president? By January, I think Jason's probably gone. And it may be his decision just as much, uh, depending upon the new owners. I mean, new owners are entitled to have new management. You know, you don't spend $6 billion and just say keep going. Um, but Jason will be around for a while. I think the NFL very much supports trying to have a transition so that things don't go crazy, you know. Now, you know, Jason's had some missteps over time. I like Jason. I think he's worked hard. But um, this, this, what Jason desperately needed, and I hope they find, is a quality control guy with a sense of the franchise history. And no, I am not looking for a job. Uh, but... You know, they need somebody like that who understands how to avoid missteps, who can say, don't wheel out that Sean Taylor thing. That's stupid. You know, those kind of things. And they never had that. And I think Jason Lowe got stung up quite a bit. He tried to learn the team history on the run, but it's hard to do. Uh, He's probably hampered a little like Dan. I think after all this is over, his resume will be there and he'll, he'll be looking for greener pastures, too. All right. Longtime Washington, D.C. area sports writer Rick Snyder, the host of Rick Snyder's Washington on YouTube. Uh, Rick, thanks a lot. All the best. All right. Thanks for having me on. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Well, a good win for the Nationals on Monday night. A 7-5 win at the Chicago Cubs in Game 1 of a three-game series. The Nats improved to 38-56. and That is the second-worst record in the National League, but the Nats, the boys, uh, they now are 23-24 and on the road. I'm proud of the boys. Yes, thank you, Nats manager Davey Martinez. A very nice offensive game for the Nats on Monday night. Seven runs, 11 hits, a walk, three for nine with runners in scoring position. And five of the 11 hits were extra base hits, including a home run on the first pitch scene by the returning Jamer Candelario. Uh, Jamer Candelario on Monday night was the Nats' starting third baseman and number three batter as he returned from a two-game absence caused by a right thumb bone bruise. And he went two for four with a two-run homer, an infield single, and a hit by pitch. Candelario in an Nats' two-run first had a one-out first pitch two-run homer to left field for a 2 nothing Nats lead. So, so much for any worries about the condition of the right thumb. Uh, Candelario in the top of the third drew a two-out hit by by pitch and Candelario in an ads two run seventh had a one out opposite field infield single on a chopper toward third base. Good to see Candelario back. Uh, we now are just two weeks away from the 2023 MLB trade deadline, which is on Tuesday, August 1st. Uh, Candelario is the Nats' number one trade ship, given that he's a veteran, given that he's on a one-year, $5 million contract, and given that he's having a good season. Jamer Candelario, for this regular season, is number two among all qualified Nats players in OPS at 826. Also doing well for the Nats on Monday night was Kbert Ruiz. Uh, he got on base four times. Uh, Kbert, as the Nats starting catcher and number five batter, went three for three with a two-run homer, a double, and a single, and a walk. Uh, he did get picked off and caught stealing. Uh, but Kbert in the top of the first had a two-out double to left field. Kbert in the Nats two-run fourth drew a leadoff walk. Kbert in the top of the fifth had a two-out opposite field single through the right side of the infield, although he then was picked off and caught stealing for the third out. But then Kbert made up for that base running blunder uh, in the Nats two-run seventh, a two-out two-run homer to right field on a one-two pitch for a 7-3 Nats lead. This has been a frustrating season for Kbert Ruiz. His uh, results numbers are not good, but his process numbers are good. He has hit balls hard. He just has hit into a lot of bad luck. So nice to see him have a good night on Monday night. And he also did some good things defensively, including multiple nice picks of uh, pitches by reliever Kyle Finnegan in uh, the bottom of the ninth inning. Uh, more on Finnegan coming up in a bit. But Cape Ruiz was not the only Nat who had a three-hit night on Monday night. Stone Garrett, uh, he is the Nat starting left fielder and number six batter, went three for four with two doubles and a single. Uh, although one of the doubles was a rather lucky double, but the first double was not a lucky double. It uh, was a well-earned double. Uh, Stone Garrett in the Nats two-run fourth, a double to the left center field gap despite having been down in the count at 1.12. Garrett in the Nats one-run six had a leadoff double, although this double came on a routine fly ball that the Cubs center fielder Cody Bellinger lost in the sky. Uh, Wrigley Field 
uh, has no lights behind outfielders. And so some weird things can happen on fly balls in night skies. And uh, Stone Garrett, in this instance, was the beneficiary. And then Garrett, in the top of the seventh, had a two-out single to left field. And C.J. Abrams, he had another game in which he got on base multiple times. Uh, Abrams on Monday night as an ad-starting shortstop and number one batter went one for four with a single, a hit-by-pitch, and a stolen base off earlier in the day, having been named National League Player of the Week as he continues to do well as it adds new number one batter. And here's how you know that things are going really well for C.J. Abrams. So I mentioned the hit by pitch and the stolen base. Abrams on Monday night in the Nats two run first had a leadoff hit by pitch and then stole second base. And the steal of second base happened despite the Cubs having Abrams picked off. The Cubs anticipated the stolen base attempt with a throw to first base on a pickoff attempt, but Abrams outran the throw (laughs) from first base to second base. Things be going the way of C.J. Abrams right now, and that's been really nice to see. Uh, Abrams was acquired by the Nats on last year's MLB trade deadline day, August 2nd, uh, in the big trade of outfielder Juan Soto and first baseman Josh Bell to the San Diego Padres. Also acquired by the Nats in that trade was starting pitcher Mackenzie Gore. Uh, Gore on Monday night pitched in a game for the first time since July 6, as the Nats are monitoring his workload for this season. And uh, Gore on Monday night had a, uh, shall we say, nuanced outing. Uh, Gore allowed five runs in six and a third innings, but there was a lot more to what he did than just that final line. Gore allowed one run through five innings, but that allowed two runs in the bottom of the sixth and two runs in the bottom of the seventh. Gore, in the outing, gave up six hits, two two run homers, and four singles. He issued two walks. He recorded six strikeouts, uh, and he threw a lot of strikes, 106 pitches, 71 strikes versus 35 balls. If there's such a thing as allowing five runs in six into third innings, but pitching well, this was it. Uh, I do not think that that final line of five runs in six into third innings tells the true story of Mackenzie Gore's outing. Uh, as for the two two-run homers, so Gore in the bottom of the six allowed two runs on a leadoff opposite field single by Seiya Suzuki through the right side of the infield and a two-run homer by Ian Happ to right field to cut the Nats lead to 5-3. And Gore in the bottom of the seventh allowed two runs on a leadoff single by the ex-Oriole, Trey Mancini, up the middle. And a one-out two-run homer by the Cubs' number nine batter, Patrick Wisdom, to left center field on a 1-2 pitch to cut the Nats lead to 7-5. So look, you can only praise Gore so much given that he gave up the two two two-run homers. But there was a good bit to like from him in this game. Here was Davey Martinez during his post-game session with reporters on Monday night on Mackenzie Gore. I get him to about 110, 105, 110 pitches. Um, he was throwing the ball well. You know, just, um, you know, and I, I still think when I, when I took him, I still had a little bit left in the tank. Um, but, you know, we had uh, we had Mason at that point and then uh, Finnegan. So, um, but he pitched he pitched really well. I mean, you know, he had one, one inning there. Um, we fell behind some hitters, uh, but he was able to get out of it, you know, and, um, and then he came back and, and, and gave us what we needed. And the Nats bullpen on Monday night, a new look Nats bullpen gave 
the Nats what they needed. Uh, the Nats on Monday afternoon made a bunch of roster moves, including, as expected, placing their top reliever, Hunter Harvey, on the 15-day injured list. Uh, Harvey was placed on the 15-day IL retroactive to Sunday with what is being labeled a right elbow strain. Uh, also, the Nats on Monday afternoon optioned reliever Yoan Adone to AAA Rochester and recalled lefty reliever Joe Lasorsa from AAA Rochester. So, no Hunter Harvey, who, look, this season has not been great, but he has been the best reliever uh, in an ads bullpen that has not been good. But in this 7-5 win at the Cubs on Monday night, two Nats relievers combined for two and two-thirds scoreless innings with four strikeouts. Uh, Mason Thompson tossed one and a third scoreless innings. He in the bottom of the eighth faced four batters, got just two outs, although he was plagued by some bad luck. He gave up two singles, including a one-out infield single by ex-Nat Jan Gomes on a tapper toward third base. But then Kyle Finnegan tossed one and a third scoreless innings for a four-out save. A Finnegan came into the game in the bottom of the eighth with runners on first and second, two outs, and the Nats nursing a 7-5 lead. He got a pinch-hitting Mike Tuckman to line out to center fielder Alex Cole for the third out, and the out came off a two-out double steal by the Cubs to give them runners on second and third, and then Finnegan tossed a scoreless bottom of the ninth with three strikeouts, the last two of which were of the Cubs' numbers one and two batters, Nico Horner and Seiya Suzuki. So for at least one game, life without Hunter Harvey for the Nats went just fine. Uh, we During Davey Martinez's postgame session with reporters on Monday night, had this exchange with Nats insider Jesse Doherty of the Washington Post. It seems like that group in the back end's getting smaller and smaller. Um, so is it sustainable for you to kind of ride those two guys, or are you gonna to have to eventually kind of figure out new ways? To- no, we're gonna. We're, I mean, I mean, we're gonna. You know, Willingham's gonna to have to pitch back in the bullpen. Weems, you know, was down today. He's gonna to have to. You know, hopefully he'll be all right tomorrow. Available, and then the two, the two lefties got to come out and face some of those. You know, some some left handers, some switch hitters. Um, uh, but they, you know, these guys are gonna to have to all. You know, man up and and get out there. We're gonna have to see what the, what we what we have. And um, and, and I'm, I'm honestly, I'm looking forward to that a little bit. Uh, you know, I want to see what Willie Hand can do in, in high level situations. Um, and so so Ferrer, you know, Ferrer's got to get lefties out for us. So I want to see him do that as well. So, um, I can't say enough about what Finnegan and, and Thompson, you know, even Harvey, what they've done thus far. Um, but you know, we push them, but we need to take care of them as well. So these other guys got to pitch. Yeah, the Nats without Hunter Harvey can't only rely on Kyle Finnegan and Mason Thompson. That's pretty clear. But uh, Davey Martinez likely will be leaning on those guys quite a bit uh, with Harvey out. Game two at the Cubs, Tuesday night at 8.05. Patrick Corbin will be the Nats starting pitcher. So the Orioles' eight-game winning streak is over. You know, the O's are beginning their post-All-Star break portion of the season with three consecutive series against three teams having good seasons. Uh, the Miami Marlins, who, as we speak, are third in the National League wildcard standings, the National League West-leading Los Angeles Dodgers, and the American League-leading Tampa Bay Rays. And the O's on Monday night got got by the Dodgers in game one of a three-game series at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. A 6-4 loss, although the Rays lost two. A 3-2 walk-off loss at the American League West leading 
Texas Rangers on Monday night. The O's now are 57 and 36, second best record in the American League, and still just one game behind the Rays for the best record in the American League and for first place in the American League East. Uh, we on Monday night had the return of starting pitcher Grayson Rodriguez to the majors. Uh, Gray Rod was back at the major league level. Uh, the O's on Monday morning recalled Rodriguez from AAA Norfolk. Uh, he in this 6-4 loss to the Dodgers on Monday night allowed four runs in five innings. Uh, he gave up seven hits, a triple, and six singles. He issued two walks and two wild pitches. He recorded four strikeouts. He threw a lot of pitches. Uh, Rodriguez, over his five innings, threw 91 pitches, although they did consist of 59 strikes versus 32 balls. And two of the runs charged to Rodriguez did score on a grand slam uh, that was given up by reliever Brian Baker. And Rodriguez was throwing really hard. Uh, Six of his pitches in the top of the first each registered as being at least 100 miles per hour per stat cast. Uh, Gray Rod was a flamethrower on Monday night. So it wasn't all bad from Grayson Rodriguez, but, you know, he wasn't great. Uh, This was O's manager, Brandon Hyde, during his postgame press conference on Monday night on Grayson Rodriguez. So I threw the ball really well. Um, thought the command has improved. Thought the stuff was excellent. Just had a tough time there in the sixth. But besides that, he was uh, played through the ball really, really well. I'm really excited about him. Grayson Rodriguez in his initial stint in the majors in this regular season was not good. Uh, 10 starts, ERA a 735, whip of 172. And so the O's on May 27th announced that they had optioned Rodriguez to AAA Norfolk. He, for Norfolk, pitched well. He, on July 6th, was named International League Pitcher of the Month. But, you know, Monday night was a tough task in facing the Dodgers, who, with this win, improved a 54-39 and second-best record in the National League. Uh, three Orioles relievers on Monday night officially combined to allow two runs in four innings. Brian Baker officially allowed two runs in one inning, but as mentioned, he gave up a grand slam. Uh, Baker, in a five-run six for the Dodgers, gave up a two-out grand slam by Chris Taylor to center field on an 0-2 pitch for a 6-4 Dodgers lead. The homer winner projected 416 feet per stat cast. Uh, Chris Taylor, a uh, product of the University of Virginia, by the way. Uh, Mike Bauman faced three batters and got two outs. Nick Vespi tossed two and a third scoreless innings. Uh, the Orioles' offense on Monday night was decent, uh, just not good enough. Uh, the O's for the game, four runs, seven hits, and four walks, uh, two for six with runners in scoring position. Four of the seven hits were extra base hits. Adley Rutschman, uh, he is the Orioles starting catcher and number two batter, went one for three with a solo homer and a walk. Rutschman ended Orioles one-run fifth, had a one-out solo homer on a line drive to right field for a 4-1 Orioles lead. Uh, Adley Rutschman for this regular season is number three among all qualified Orioles players in OPS at 8-10. Gunnar Henderson, he on Monday night as the Orioles starting shortstop and number one batter went one for four with an RBI triple. Uh, Henderson in a two-run Orioles second had a one-out RBI triple toward the right field corner for a 3 nothing Orioles lead. Henderson for this regular season is number four among all qualified Orioles players in OPS at 8.07. And Ryan Mountcastle, he on Monday night as the Orioles starting DH and number five batter went two for four with an RBI double and a single. Mountcastle in a one-run Orioles first had a two-out RBI double down the left field line 
for a 1-0 Orioles lead. You know, we have not seen much of Ryan Mountcastle since he came back from vertigo. Mountcastle was on the 10-day entered list from June 13th, retroactive to June 10th until July 9th due to vertigo. Uh, He has not been a regular starter for the O's since coming back. It's interesting with the O's right now, them having called up well-regarded prospects like infielder Jordan Westberg and outfielder Colton Kowser uh, has led to some guys who had been regular starters, uh, now not being regular starters. Mountcastle is one shortstop. Jorge Mateo is another. Uh, Still no Cedric Mullins for the O's. He missed a second consecutive game due to right quadriceps tightness. Game two against the Dodgers, Tuesday night at 7.05. Tyler Wells will be the Orioles starting pitcher. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Wednesday show, episode 613, will include a lot for you on the Commanders. Also talk Nationals and Orioles. And that's on Tuesday night at 8.05 of game two of the three-game series at the Chicago Cubs. The O's on Tuesday night at 7.05 have game two of the three-game series against the Los Angeles Dodgers at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Have a great rest of your Tuesday, and I'll talk to you on Wednesday. How do you like me now? How do you like me now?